Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been actually in this sermon series called True Faith. Now, um, before I dive into the sermon, what I wanted to mention was I know that the, with recent events with what happened in Buffalo um, yesterday, as well as just what's happening around in the world, the, the war continues on in, U, in the Ukraine. And for many of us, you know, um, one of the sayings that we often say here is uh, that we want to become the answer to our prayers. And the reason why we say that is because it's so easy to offer simple platitudes about just kind of words and thoughts and prayers, but what does it look like for us to become the answer to our prayers, to be the kind of people uh, that actually take action um, instead of simply saying we offer our thoughts and prayers? And of course, um, you know, with the war in Ukraine, we raised a significant amount of money uh, towards re- refugee relief that's happening. And just yesterday, we actually were part of sponsoring an event where there was a walk of solidarity um, where over 100 people gathered together. Um, in behalf of kind of our AAPI community. Uh, and even then with, you know, this talk about solidarity, there was a shooting that happened in Texas with the Asian community. And then of course yesterday, now that walk yesterday was actually an event that happened where it was not only um, Asian American churches as well as clergy as well as people, but also a collection of black church pastors from East Flatbush also joined us. It was just an extraordinary time you know, and I, I think in many ways as we enter into this season and as we enter, even in this topic of what does faith look like, we've talked so much about faith gets put into action, that it has to be faith that works. Um, and in many ways, as we kind of offer up our prayers for God to move, to bring peace, we also want to become the answer to our prayers. And so I just wanted to mention that with all that's happening in the world, what does it look like for us to be the kind of community that takes action, however we can? We, don't, we won't solve everything, but we can do something. And so that's why, you know, time and time again, we're inviting people to invest your time, your energy, and your resources into causes like this. Um, so I just wanted to mention that just as we start this sermon here. Now, if you're new to our church, if you're coming for the first time, if you're someone who doesn't have a Christian background, guess what? Today's message does not apply to you. So if it's a little hot in here and you just want to check out of the sermon right now, you can go ahead and do that. Um, Or what you can do is you can lean in and you can listen to what do Christians believe about what this faith thing looks like? Uh, And what is the most tangible way? Because today the topic is really tangible faith. How do we we actually make faith really tangible? So again, if you're new, if you're not a Christian, this message is not for you, but you get to get clued in. What do these Christians believe about how faith gets worked out? Now, there was an image I used a couple of weeks ago, and it was an image of if you were to go to a trainer, for instance, you were to, you know, you made some sort of resolution that you wanted to get in tip-top physical condition. So you went to this gym and you said, I want your best trainer. And you said to the trainer, hey, listen, this is what I want. I want to get in tip-top physical condition, but I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you to challenge me at all. In fact, I want to keep my diet of Cheetos and fried chicken. And uh, that's what I want to do to remain healthy forever and ever. Now, most of us would be like, ah, that's silly. No one would ever do that, right? Because um, by virtue of going and having a trainer that's going to challenge us in these different ways, we believe that the way to grow is to be challenged in different ways. And so when I say, if you're not a Christian here, I'm going to give a challenging message today. Now, that challenging message, here's what I'm doing. I, I, I believe we've made this social contract with one another. Actually, we've probably never made this explicit, but the social contract is this. You've come here because somehow you want to get at least some sort of semblance of like, what does it mean to grow in your faith with God? By growing your faith, to be challenged in some way, to grow, to do something different, to see something different. Um, or you came because the kids program is great for your kids and you just need a break, right? Like, I don't know, whatever, whatever brought you here today, here's what I believe, that I'm here and I'm gonna make this challenging message to you on this challenging message is really an invitation to say like, okay, what does it look like for me if I need these muscles to grow, 
uh, if I need to, to get into better condition, especially as it relates to this faith thing, then what does it look like for me to actually be challenged and to move and to stretch a little bit more, right? You want a trainer who's basically like, you got one more rep in you. Um, I, I don't know if that's what trainers say, but I think that's what they say, right? You got one more, got, you can do one more lap, right? And then you're gonna have this cool down period where you're gonna be able to cool down. But of course, you want someone that's gonna be challenging you. So today is a challenging message because we're talking about this faith thing. Two weeks ago, we talked about how faith works. Last week, Sarah talked about this whole story of how faith looks like obedience, of sacrifice, of even giving up the things that God gives to us, the good things that God gives to us. Like what in the world, how in the world are we supposed to have faith like that? Well, today the topic is tangible faith. How do we make faith really, really? tangible. Now, again, I think for some of us, it's going to feel really uncomfortable about the things that I'm talking about. Now, now, last week, Sarah talked about Hebrews chapter 11, and that was actually passed from two weeks ago, because here's how faith is so essential, right? Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible. Can I say impossible? That's right. It's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Right? It's not only believing in the bigness and the greatness of God, it's believing in his goodness, that he's reliable, that when I approach him, even the invisible God, that sometimes I don't even know what he's doing, I don't know how God is working, and yet what I do is I take tangible steps to follow him. Here's the thing about faith, though, and the thing about religious communities, and the thing that's so easy for people like me, for people like me, it's so easy as a professional clergy person to be up here and just to spew all these words, words about how pious I am, words about how prayerful I am. I mean, it's so interesting. Like, I, I remember I was about to teach uh, this one thing online with, uh, about emotionally healthy spirituality, and I was supposed to teach it to a group of pastors. So you can imagine, you know how this was, right, during the pandemic, everything's shifting to Zoom, and I'm supposed to teach on emotional health and how, like, our marriages and our families are impacted by us staying rooted in Jesus. And so I'm supposed to get on at, like, 2 o'clock p.m., but my wife is running late, Right, and the kids, like they're under, I'm under the expectation that she's gonna be watching the kids just so that they're not gonna run into my Zoom meeting and things like that. They're running late, or she's running late. She comes in late, she comes in at like 1.45. She was supposed to be there at 1.30, just so we could get settled. Everyone has a plan. I can get ready for my Zoom so I can teach these incredible spiritual truths to a group of pastors from all over the country, right? Like this is my, this is my mentality, right? So, but she's so late, so 1.45, she comes in. She goes, sorry, I'm late. I'm like, you were late. Do you realize how important what I'm about to do is? I can't believe you were late. And so here I am, and I've, I've lost patience, and I'm kind of letting her have it, right? We get into this back and forth. She's like, I don't understand what the big deal is. You still have 15 minutes. I'm like, but that's a 15 minutes is not 30 minutes, and da-da-da-da. And you told me this, and we had this expectation. It's in this, like, argument, right? All of a sudden, it's like 159, right? It's like 159. I'm heated. I'm angry. And I look at the, the clock and I'm like, I'm like, hold on. I got to go teach this class, right? So she goes, she's like, fine. I go, you know, and I get myself ready with like the 30 seconds remaining. I click onto Zoom and all of a sudden I'm just like, hey everyone, guys, I'm so glad you're joining this gathering on emotionally healthy spirituality. Let me tell you, like in the pandemic, it's one of the hardest things to do. One of the things that keeps us most tethered is having this approach to emotionally healthy spirituality, da-da-da-da. And let me tell you, I crushed this talk. 
It was like an hour long. People had questions and answers. They were talking like, how do you stay healthy? How do you, how do you nurture your marriage in the midst of, of the pandemic? I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty easy. You basically, you basically just stay on Zoom and you fake it. You fake it until two o'clock p.m., until it's go time, right? I mean, because this is, but here's the thing, right? It's so easy to use words to simply manufacture whatever semblance of piety or following this God person might look like, right? Like, it's so easy for me just with words to tell you, guys, I wake up every morning at 6 a.m. and I pray an hour a day, and you should too, right? Like, it's so easy to just use words. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes those words are embellished. Here's what preachers do. We embellish words sometimes. I do it sometimes. I can fake it into a Zoom call because it was so easy just to transition from one place to the next. It's so easy with words. And oftentimes, here's what happens. When it comes to the spiritual life, so many of us, we know how to fake it too. We know how to fake it with words because it's easy to say, yes, prayer is important to me. Jesus is important to me. He is the most important person in my life. He's the one that's informing my decisions when it comes to parenting, but at the end of the day, right? We're like, no, what's not informing our decisions is not Jesus. It's basically the rankings of public schools that we can get get our kids into or whatever else it might be. I mean, isn't that true that so many times with words, it's just so easy to fake it? See, but this isn't, this isn't something that just modern New Yorkers have struggles with. This is something that people from time, from beginning of time struggled with, with this thing called integrity, with being able to use, to actually do what we say. That's why in the book of James, who's the brother of Jesus, James uses these words, and I brought the same passage up a couple of weeks ago. Check out what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What What good is it to offer thoughts and prayers all the time, but we do nothing? What good is it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James, who's the brother of Jesus, First off, it's amazing that he's the brother of Jesus and he follows Jesus. But here he is and he's talking about, no, the reality about faith is not something that just, I just use words and prayers and thoughts and prayers. And it's so easy in environments like this where it's just words and we can give the semblance of piety and how spiritual or how faithful we truly are. But when does it become real? It becomes real when it actually puts itself to work. Now, today the topic is tangible faith. Because, check out this passage, and it's a passage of John the Baptist, who's a precursor to Jesus of Nazareth. Now, John the Baptist, basically, he comes and he gives this very challenging message to the people of Israel. And look at what happens, right? John the Baptist, in the passage, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, you brood of vipers. I mean, can you imagine being preached at by someone like John the Baptist? You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, like, oh, this, we've been part of this religious heritage, right? For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So here John is, he's preaching this very challenging message. Why? Because the people who claim to follow God have somehow found themselves wayward. Now, it's amazing. I don't know if it was his winsomeness, his pre... Who knows? It was the spirit of God. Somehow, these people are challenged, they're convicted, 
And look at what they ask John. This is like the easiest crowd to preach to, right? He says, what should we do then, the crowd asked. And John's like, I'm glad you asked. You know, I mean, it's like the most amazing kind of response that any preacher could ever get. What should we do? Now, look at how John responds. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Now, do you catch what he's doing? He's basically talking about resources or money or things. And anyone who has food should do the same. Now, now look, look what he says in the next slide. He says, even tax collectors came to be baptized. A teacher, they asked, what should we do? Again, John is on a roll. His message has really affected people in a tangible way. Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Why? Because tax collectors were known to, to for their own advantage, they would collect more than they were responsible for so that they could, they could pocket the rest. So he's basically talking about being wise stewards and people of integrity with your money. Now look, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? John is on a roll here. I mean, every single person is asking, what should we do? What should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, here's what John's doing, right? He could get so real because John's basically giving this challenging message of repentance. He's asking people to make, and, and these people are asking, what should we do then? Different than how can I use my words, it's what should we do? Now, did you notice? Every single thing that John shares, well, first, you start, need to start sharing. Secondly, you need to stop like, collecting more than you, and, and thirdly, you need to be content with, with your pay. Basically, every single thing he talks about has to do with money. It's all about money. Why is it all about money? Well, I mean, here's the thing. The top two topics that Jesus would talk about throughout his ministry, one is poverty and the second is money. Why money? Because here's the thing. Whether you're religious or you're not, money gets at the core for everyone. For everyone. It does. In fact, there's this passage where Jesus is teaching, and look at what Jesus says about where your treasure is. Look at what he says. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, notice, this is what he's basically saying, right? Because there's a different way that Jesus could have said this. Jesus could have said this instead. He could have said, for where your heart is, there your treasure is also, right? In some ways, that's what some of us might believe. We might believe, oh, you know what? I do, like, I care deeply about this thing, and my money will follow what I care about. But notice, Jesus doesn't say that. Why? Because it's so darn easy to use words to talk about what we care about. Uh, I can say, I love my wife more than anyone in this world. Tina, you really, you're going to order this, the, the meat? Get just, can you get the chicken dish that's cheaper there, right? Like, I mean, there's ways. I, I can use all these words to communicate something, but at the end of the day, right, what, one of the things that, sorry, some of you didn't get that illustration there. I thought it was funny, but no one thought it was funny. But anyhow, um, right? Well, yes, exactly. For where your treasure is, what, is, what is Jesus saying here? What he's basically saying is, it doesn't matter what words you use. We can use words all day about what we care about. I care about justice and standing for racial equality. I, I care about this group of people. I, I care about all the things that, you know, it's, it's so PC to care about and to say that we care about, we love, 
were for. The question for me and for you, though, is, well, where's your treasure? Because I'll tell you what, where your treasure is, where your money is, that's where your heart is. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus uses that as a diagnostic? He's not basically saying, hey, hey, follow, wherever your heart goes, that's where your money is. No, 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 he's like, he's like, I'll show you where your heart is. It's actually where your money is. Now, we have a saying in today's world, you don't even have to be a Christian, you've probably heard this saying before, about money, and again, some of you, you're already like, this is a really uncomfortable topic, I like, I, you know, you, you already briefed me and said it was gonna be challenging. But here's the thing, right? We have a saying, it's this, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, you've heard that before, right? You've got into this argument, who's the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Some of you are like, or Patrick Ewing, New York Knicks. Uh, maybe some of you don't say that. Whatever it might be, right? But you're like having this argument, like, right? And then it's like, yeah, well, put your money where your mouth is, right? Like, it's so easy to say that. But will you put your money where your mouth is? We, we say that all the time. I mean, even the metaphors that we use about like whether we really believe something or whether something is really true, we use financial transaction language. Like even today with all of the, the, the stories of abuse and leadership abuse, and have you noticed there's this phrase that people said, I've got receipts to show it. Now, they're not financial receipts, right? It's like, I, I, I've got emails. I've got, I've got all the proof. But they, we use this language of receipts. Why do we use the language of receipts? Because ultimately, where your treasure is, there your money or your heart is also. Money has this way of revealing where our hearts are. Now, here's the thing. If we talk about faith, we talk about faith. And again, it's so easy to simply use words. And see, when John is calling out these people, when they're asking, what should we do? John is basically saying to them, this is what I want you to do. Because I know that money gets at the heart of everything for you and for me. Money is the way, right? If our faith needs to be tangible, money is the most tangible thing we have to exercise faith. Because we've talked about, right? Faith without works is dead. You need, right, money is the most tangible thing because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I realize it's uncomfortable talking about this. As a pastor, some of you are like, I knew it, this religious community that says bait and switch, they just want my money. And I know, I, and it, it, I, I wanna tell you, I stand before you and I really, I don't want this, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. Because you and I know this, like of all the cities where money is like the preeminent thing, whether you have a little bit of money or whether you have a lot, it's this city. I mean, from the history of Dutch settlement in New York and even beyond, there was always money was the, the thing that drove us. And the chances are, whatever your industry is in the city, whether it's you're a nonprofit worker or you're a school teacher or you work in finance, or you're in law, whatever it might be, the reality is for every single one of us, money, especially in this town, probably becomes the most significant thing, right? Am I gonna make it? Do I have enough? Like, I can't believe I live here, and I can't believe this small studio costs this much. Anyone been there before? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? And in the midst, 
to give this sermon in the midst of right now, it feels like the market has gone crazy, inflation has risen, and for each one of us, I know for myself, the anxieties around money are so real. See, again, you don't have to be religious. You can not be religious. The reality is money, especially in this town, gets at the heart of so many of us. It's no wonder why Jesus would consistently talk about this. It's also one of the reasons why Jesus says in another passage, he says, beware, for, beware of all sorts of greed. And why does he say that? Why does he say beware of this as opposed to other things? It's because greed is one of those things that every single one of us, I think, would probably be like, I'm not greedy. I'm not as greedy as those people. Why? Because it's so hard to know greed within myself. And even right now, as I talk about money, we're explaining away, like, in our minds, like, wait, wait a minute, I actually give money to this thing, and I do this, and I, I pay for my in-laws in this area, and I, 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 I don't spend as much as I should there, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not greedy, especially greedy like those people who live in Midtown West. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or whatever it might be, right? Like, it's so easy to, to think of ourselves not this. But here's, here's what I want to do. I want to level set here. Money gets at the heart at, at, for all of us, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. And that's why Jesus continues to teach about this. And this is why he says, where your treasure is, there your money will, or where your heart will be also. Now, I realize some of us, again, we're feeling this. I, and to level set everything, again, like as a church community, uh, I just wanted you to know, like I, I, my wife is independently wealthy. I've mentioned that before. It's not like if you give to our church, it's not like my salary increases as a result of that and I get more, it's, it's not because I depend on my wife and, uh, and her life and her income. So I just want you guys to know, like I'm not saying this because like I want your money or I need your money. I'm saying this because money, again, gets at the heart for everyone including me, and especially in a season like this and in a town like this. So what do we do then? What do we do? How do we exercise faith? We exercise it by giving away most tangibly the very thing that's hardest for us to give away. I can give words. I can give time. I'll give my time, but not my money, because money actually represents all of those things combined, doesn't it? our time, our energy, and our words. In many ways, money is the most emblematic, tangible thing to exercise our faith. Now, here's the challenge that I'm gonna be making to you. Now, again, if you're not a Christian here, this is what Christians believe, that with our money, with our money, we actually are called to give it away. Now, I'm not saying we give all of it away, right? And we've talked before, when we talk about money, we talk about giving, saving, and spending, but it becomes first, and one of the reasons why it comes first, the reason why giving comes first, is not only because it's good to give away for the sake of others, but also because we trust that God is good and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We give it away to say money in this town that stands over us and taunts us regularly. You don't have enough, you can make more. Like, what are you doing? You can, like, what are you doing with this money? Like, you should keep it for yourself. I mean, I mean, these, this is the way money taunts us all the time. Maybe you should think about, like, getting into a bigger apartment or moving somewhere better. Or, man, those people have that kind of money to do this thing. Like, this is the way that money taunts us regularly in this city. And the way that people of faith battle this is we give it away. Now, 
Here's the thing. We talked last week about charitable giving versus faith-based giving. Because charitable giving, like I said, we raise over $40,000 for uh, Hope for New York, urban church planning, Ukrainian relief, uh, and for benevolence just a few weeks ago. And I applaud that from our church community. We've been extraordinarily generous. Uh, this past Christmas, we gave over $60,000 away towards global missions and towards other causes here in the city. So we've given away, as a church community, over $100,000 in the last six months. I just want to applaud that. But I want to say that is different. That's different. Because it was charitable-based giving. Now, here's what I mean by charitable-based giving. We basically said, hey, there's a need. These are the people in need. Will you give to this? And I applaud everyone who has moved to give to those efforts. And we're going to give above and beyond to those causes. But that's charitable-based giving. What I'm talking about is a little bit, it's different. It's different because I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about taking the most tangible thing you have and that I have and giving it away because we believe that God is who he says he is. But not only that he is who he says he is, but that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Money is the most tangible thing. I was talking to someone this past week uh, who made this decision to start giving, even though there's been a downturn in this, in this season. And it was so extraordinary because the person was saying, right, like Sarah's message last week was giving away the very thing that you need the most. I guess what faith is. And this person was saying, this is the one thing I need the most right now. And I'm willing to take this step of faith to believe that God is who he says he is. You see, that's different than like, okay, I'm just gonna give because I realize there's people that need it more than I do. Of course, that's part of what we do, of course. But I'm talking about faith. Believing in the most tangible way, not just with words, but in the most tangible way that God is who he says he is. Will we trust him and will we trust that he will reward, that when we give it away, God will supply every need and then some, now, a part of me is very sheepish to make this claim because I'm kind of like, oh man, but what if God doesn't come through for people? See, but that's still those same fears. That still demonstrates that I'm still living not by faith in who he is and his goodness, but rather the fears that you and I carry, especially in a town like this. So what does that mean then? What does it mean? Again, here's what Christians believe. It means if there's a next step to what this looks like, it means, number one, for those of you who aren't tithing, now some of you might be like, oh my goodness, now we're getting into this religious jargon stuff. Start tithing. Tithing is to give 10% gross. To give, start giving 10%. Now, some of you might be like, ah, oh, I, I knew you were gonna start talking about this. Like, here's what I mean by tithing, okay? Because tithing, in, in the scriptures, there's different debates about how much one should give charitably. Um, 10% is the most consistent regularly throughout the Old Testament and beyond. In the New Testament, in fact, people are giving everything because there's this belief that everything is God's. I'm just a steward. But 10%, here's what I know about in the city that we live in. 10% is a faith-filled number. I mean, some of you, you guys saw that and immediately your heart rate started to increase because some of you are like, I don't have that money. I don't have it. And meanwhile, some of you make a lot of money and some of you are like, I have that money, but that's a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, 10%'s a lot, right? right? Because 10%, it's, it's enough to feel like a sacrifice. 
Now, you know, again, some people debate. It's 30% that some people would give to the temple and all that stuff. At the end of the day, tithing is mentioned most frequently throughout scripture. And in our context, in our city, 10% feels like, ooh, that hurts. Now, people might debate gross or net or whatever. Like, I'm just putting gross there because, again, will we, will we, here's the image again, right? Remember, if we can just kind of come back to this image, right? Here I am, and I'm basically, you got one more rep in you. (laughs) You got one more rep. You could do it. I know you can do it. And I know that you can't see the benefit now, but I believe and I trust that you will see the benefit in the future. Now, again, you're like, is there any other way? Is there any other way to grow in my faith? And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, money is the most tangible thing. It's the most tangible. I can tell you to give me more words, but that's all they end up being is words. Money is that thing Again, it taunts every single one of us in the city. So number one is to start tithing and to do it to believe that God is who he says he is. Again, this is different than charitable-based giving. This is believing that God is who he says he is. Number two is this. Learn how to manage your money. Uh, We have a course called Managing Your Money. And the reality is some of us are settled in debt. We've made unwise decisions with our money. We kind of don't know how we're basically gonna even make this first thing. Well, the reason why we offer this course on managing your money, it's taught by Barnaby Lowe, so, um, so don't blame me if you don't like the course. But, uh, <laughs> but Barnaby teaches this course, and it's basically so that you and I can all have tools on how do I manage my money well. Because at the end of the day, some of us, we grew up in places where giving was not, like faith-based giving was not part of the equation. Faith-based spending was, perhaps, And so some of us, we've got some deep tentacles around us, around how we manage our money. And so we as a church, we realize like we wanna offer resources so that you and I can learn about how to manage money well. Now, there was a third thing here that I don't think got up here, but, um, and it's basically this. Some of you are tithing. Some of you have been giving. And listen, when I say tithing, I I want want you to know this. Like I, I said, I want this for you, not from you. You don't have to tithe to our church Tithe to whatever you believe in. But here's the thing, right? Like, tithe somewhere. Use your money in ways where you believe that God is who he says he is. Now, for those of you who are tithing, remember, here I am. I'm like, you've got one more rep in you. You can do it. I know you can. I'm gonna invite you, start giving 1% more. Just the exercise of what does it look like for me? Remember, we're talking about like when we're, when we're, right, we reach a certain limit when it comes to our athletic prowess, but we're like, okay, if I want to continue to grow in this, what does it look like for me to continue to grow? To believe that God is who he says he is and that he rewards those who, generally, who, who genuinely seek him. Now, some of you are like, wow, he was talking really passionately about this thing. Because at the end of the day, though, this isn't necessarily just about money. It's about your heart, right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know what's so interesting is that money is just emblematic of our hearts. And our hearts, what each one of us, whether you're religious or you're not, have always been looking for and longing for is guess what? 
freedom from money, isn't it? Freedom from the anxieties that you and I felt. Even as I was talking about, we're in an economic downturn right now. Some of you are probably like, oh my goodness, like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to make it. And immediately the anxiety starts. But the kind of life that we've always wanted, whether you're religious or not, is a freedom from that. You know, it's interesting. There's this moment where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And check out what he writes. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Because here's what Paul is basically saying. Some of you have reached out. You've supplied my every need. Some of you, it's okay. I've had a lot at different times. Look at what he says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Isn't that what all of us want? Whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little. Isn't that what all of us want? To learn to be content in every situation. And check out what he says. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he says this phrase that oftentimes is so misinterpreted. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I remember when I was in high school, I used to pray that prayer. God, you have said I can do all things through those. Uh, I can do all things through you who gives me strength. I pray that you would allow me to become a starting professional NFL receiver. Like that was my my prayer. Um, it didn't work out. Um, see, because the context of this prayer is like, don't you see what it's saying? It's basically saying, no, no, no. I can I can make it. Why? Because my worth, my identity, my heart is not based on how much money I make, how much money I have. It's based on someone who gives me the assurance that I can make it through whatever circumstance. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to, to stand with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And uh, my challenge to you, start tithing. Start giving away money, not out of charity, out of faith. See what it's like for the next three to four months. Just see what it's like. I would love to hear stories. What does it look like for us to believe that he is who he says he is? We can entrust our lives to him, believing that he does reward those who seek him. Let me pray for us as we close here. Father, or as we sing this song to close, Father, would you be our vision? We come here saying we want to live for something or someone bigger than ourselves. And the reality is, <laughs> when it comes down to where my treasure is, it's often more about me than it is about you or anyone else. And today, I want to say, God, will you be my vision? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.